1: Rock me like a hurricane, Hireside Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and although some say the whole world's a stage for the global motion picture show, I certainly think the script is hard to follow. It seems like conspiratorial chaos out there with too many threads to fully follow, and an overabundance of shady scriptwriters trying to shove their stories down the throats of a people who've had just about enough. But the Shyamalan twist of this whole thing might be that once every streetlight is recording our movements, our digital dollars are turned on and off in accordance with our don't-rock-the-boat behavior, and we've been pushed to the vaccine-resisting margins of society, face masks might actually be an identity-protecting tool for the last rebels left standing. It's a weird world out there, people, and today we're looking at the rites, rituals, and reality hijacks of the world's shadowy showrunners with the one and only Sasquehanna sage, Michael Wan, and at least recording today's rabbit hole tumble on the 19th anniversary of the biggest scripted mass ritual of our lifetimes, the events of September 11th, 2001. This is Mike's fourth time on THC, and in podcasts prior, he's broken down the Susquehanna River goddess worship rituals, the esoteric life and death of Kobe Bryant, and just how much of our reality seems to be a carefully crafted magical management of cycles, prophecies, and programs. I'm sure today will be just as eye-opening, so let's get into it. The planetary plot revealer, cosmic script seer, and elite agenda analyzer, Mike, my man, welcome back to the Higher Side.
2: Greg, thank you for having me again. And it is always like, you know, as a guest, like it's you're excited to hear how you're going to do an introduction because you got a real a real knack at doing that well. So that was fantastic. I'm humbled and honored and I'm super excited for this conversation. Two things I want to point out. First one is the last conversation we had, we did the Kobe one. That came out right at the end of February, and it was right before this narrative has been really introduced down our throats. And my sense is, you know, there's a timing thing which we're playing with, and we're going to get to this in the end of our conversation today. But, you know, I think we all know this, like, you know, the next quote unquote shoe is going to drop. The next chapter is going to be opened up or the next section. So our timing is perfect. And then secondly, to do this on this auspicious date, September 11th, and on the 19th anniversary, you know, we talked about 19 a lot in the previous time we spoke. And there's, you know, the whole sort of like COVID-1984 sort of thing playing in. So again, our timing, how it just naturally unfolds, I think is worthy to like pay homage to, but then also recognize that we're not just looking at like, a story which we are not participating in, like we're participating in the story as well. And I find that to be very empowering, particularly when we're going to go through the stuff we're going to go through today. And it seems like so much is convoluted and controlled from the shadows.
1: Yes, well said. And man, you're already blowing my mind because I didn't really think about COVID-19 and it being 19 years since 9-11, which was the last level jump in police state technocratic control so yeah everything is just lining up but i am psyched to do this whenever i get an email from you that another layer has been peeled off the big cosmic onion and it's time to talk about it i am always psyched and today is no different and like many of these synchromistic breakdowns they tend to be an examination of cycles pop culture political events and a level of detail that always has me wondering if the real architects are even on the earthly plane or just how much control a capstone cabal can even have. But when you've built the culture that is the stage, maybe it's just always been this way to some degree. What are your thoughts on the hows and whys of these things just to get people's brains out there fired up? What are the methods to this kind of madness?
2: Well, first of all, I mean, let's look at it this way, or at least this is how I look at it. You walk outside at night and you look up in the sky and it's dark out there. And you know what? You ask the question, where am I? What is this? And there is no definitive answer. Whatever your unique understanding of reality, if you want to take like a mainstream science approach or a mainstream religion approach, or you want to go and say we're products of the Anunnaki, whatever it may be, at the end of the day is nothing is known for certain. And what I'm trying to get at with this is the fundamental question of human experience slash existence is a mystery. We just don't know. We've got a billion stories. Maybe some of them are accurate. Some of them are not. But we do not know. And so If you're going to be honest with yourself and if you're going to be honest with trying to have some understanding of the human experience, because there are a lot of folks that that doesn't intrigue them. They're like, you know, I'm just going about my day to day business. And, you know, that's that's fine as well. But when you begin to actually go and try to understand the nature of reality, you have to realize the beginning is on. We don't know. But what we can do is we can see layers and layers that are being built within this structure, which we're uncertain what that structure is and to what level that is like, you know, part of it is definitely done by, you know, the controllers. And I say that like kind of like tongue in cheek, you know, with quotation marks. We have some ideas of names and who they are, but who's behind them? Who's behind the Rockefellers? Who's behind the Rothschilds? Who's behind the group of nine? You know, There comes a point, in my opinion, where you just stop chasing your tail. You recognize that, okay, there is a web which we are within. And then once you accept that, then you can begin to almost move throughout that web, and even even find new webs. And to me, that's a whole lot more exciting, interesting, and empowering than necessarily trying to get to the very bottom of a question which I don't even know is possible for us to answer.
1: Mm, yes, yes. And an unanswerable question bodes well for a guy who wants to do a conspiracy podcast for his whole life. But <laughs> that is a really good windup. And as you said to me, the goal today is to, quote, explain how this worldwide narrative is a Tavistock, CIA, Rockefeller, deep psychodrama following the narrative of a typical James Bond, Austin Powers movie. Bill Gates is, quote, cast as the Dr. Evil mad scientist with a world domination plan, which is why he's always laughing in his interviews. What I just said may sound fantastical or metaphorical, but I will demonstrate that this is the actual plan. We have been collectively prepped over 50 plus years for this narrative. We are experiencing an operation that uses deep psychological warfare, hypnosis, art of war strategy, and popular culture to willfully transition a dreaming worldwide population into a Saturnian expression of the age of Aquarius while still keeping control of the wheel. <laughs> and well, I'm in, man. That sounds pretty provocative. Where do we uh, start this story?
2: All right. All right. So that's it. So I want to I want to go back on the first line, which I wrote to you, and that's where we're going to begin, is what we're being presented. And when I say we, I'm, I'm particularly talking to the person who their reality is completely constructed by the messages they get from their computer box or their TV box. And that person is being given a James Bond plot. And Bill Gates is like, I mean, every James Bond movie, and I think it's even more clear in the Austin Power films, because it's the same thing. There is like this ultimate bad guy, and he has his eyes on world domination and there's this scheme Yeah, and that's literally what's being presented and that sounds crazy but i'm gonna walk you through the history which they're giving us and you're gonna be like that's exactly what they're doing and so this goes back to this original question which i pose which is we don't really understand the nature of reality we can see what some of its qualities are But I don't know why showing the whole world a whole variety of films is going to make everyone fall into a dreamlike state and go along with something. But if you walk around and you look at the people who are out there, you're like, they are. (laughs) So that said, let me just jump right in. And I want to say this right now for all the listeners. I sent Greg a whole bunch of slides with information, which I collected, you know, from the Internet And it's going to be much easier to understand the storyline with these visuals. And Greg, do you have a way which your listeners are able to see this if they're subscribers?
1: Yeah, even if they're not, they just have to look into the show notes because I'm going to put all the, the slide images in the show notes and they could follow
2: along there if they so choose. Okay, fantastic. So I want that to be known. All right, so we're beginning with something called the British Security Coordination. I'll just read how it's described in Wikipedia and Wikipedia is really important, but you have to understand what Wikipedia is. This is what they want us to know. So if it's on Wikipedia, particularly something like this, this is what they're telling us. They want you to have this understanding. If you go and you look in these organizations and other places, you're going to get more to the bones, which I'm going to describe, but this is the basic bones. So the British Security Coordination is a covert organization set up in New York City by the British Secret Intelligence Service, MI6, in 1984. As a huge secret agency of nationwide news manipulation and black propaganda, the BSC, that's what it's known as, influenced news coverage in the Herald Tribune, the New York Post, the Baltimore Sun, the radio, Radio New York Worldwide, and it disseminated from Rockefeller Center. So they made up all of these stories and it was picked up by other radio stations and newspapers and propagated throughout the American public. So that's what they say this is. So let me go and break this down into like the history, which we're told and how like what happened. So the people in the United States, they're seeing what's going on in Europe and they're like, we don't want any part of it. And they were pulled into World War II. They were getting involved. They're like, this ain't our fight. And they were like, yeah, this is going to be your fight. We're going to get you in it. And this is the organization that did that. And they did that. And the same thing which is going on today, you know, the fake news, they started putting out stories. They started getting people emotionally involved. So the first thing which we want to understand about the British Security Coordination is that they were a propaganda organization. It says they did black propaganda and white propaganda, which means like covert and overt, like in your face stories, but then also like more subtle stories. So that is part of their history. And then when you go and you look at all of the individuals who were involved within this organization, you'll recognize a lot of their names because they became some of the biggest names in popular culture, particularly within the literary form in the second half of the 20th century. But specifically included in that is Ian Fleming, Ian Fleming being the author of 007. Of the james bond novels Mm -hmm. so there is a general kind of like rule of thumb or statement within intelligence circles or within like the cia and it's like you know you only leave the cia when you're six feet under once a spy always a spy so the idea that these were people who were okay i did my time during the war effort and then i went on to these Other careers and to think that they're still not part of the same sort of modus operandi of introducing stories to get into the psyche of humanity in order to bring them to a predetermined destination. That's just a naive outlook. That's just how the world works. So this is the British security coordination. They did that sort of stuff. So the first thing which they did was they introduced stories and their propaganda machine totally tied to the Rockefellers and the Rockefeller Center. There's a scholarly article called Nelson Rockefeller and the British security coordination, which like outlines like Rockefeller stuff. You know, they're always connected to it. Now, the second part, which I want to point out, and we could go a long time, but there's a lot we're going to cover today. So I'm not going to go very deep into the British security coordination. But the second thing I want to point out is they built this wireless network of being able to relay information across Earth, which at the time was like real cutting edge technology. And this network, which they built, it was run right outside of Toronto, at something which is called Camp X. And they had something which was called Hydra. Hydra is what the network was called, it was called Hydra. And all of this is gonna be important in a moment, and you're gonna understand why. I'm just kinda like laying down the framework of it. And I also wanna say, if you go and you look at Austin Powers, you go look at Mike Myers, he's the guy who's behind it. Austin Powers, I think, is probably more of an accurate description than the James Bond films, because in the Austin Power films, that actually shows you that both Dr. Evil and Austin Powers are played by the same person. Mm, mm-hmm. It's always the same person. And where's Mike Myers born? And Mike Myers, he's got the same name as like the first serial killer in the slasher films, right? Michael Myers. But he was born and he grew up in Scarsboro, Ontario. This is a part of Toronto. This is literally 10 miles from where this entire Camp X was run out of. So that's the first part. So now let me go into the second part of British security coordination, which is the guy who ran it. And this is where it gets really interesting is his name was William Stevenson. And William Stevenson is who Ian Fleming says was the inspiration for James Bond. So we already know that James Bond by the code name 007 was immediately tied into John D. and that whole history. This has never like this has been the same continuity. It has never changed between like spycraft and witchcraft and magic. It's always been in, interrelated, and the way we use names and symbols, they can be interrelated as well. I'm not necessarily saying that William Stevenson is John D, but I'm saying that he is put in the same category as John D. and we're going to this may make a little bit more sense in a moment. But where I also want to go with William Stevenson is that he was known by the code name of Intrepid. OK? And this is going to be important in a moment. But I want to read this quote from George Tennant who was the director of the CIA during 2001, you know, 19 years ago. This is a quote from George Tenet about Stevenson. So to give you an idea of the significance of this BSC, this British security coordination operation, how important it was to the CIA. So this is the quote. Sir William Stevenson played a key role in the creation of the CIA. He realized early on that America needed a strong intelligence organization and lobbied contacts close to President Roosevelt to appoint a U.S. coordinator to oversee FBI and military intelligence. He urged that the job be given to William Wild Bill Donovan. He was Donovan's handler. You know, that's Mike's commentary. Who had recently toured British defenses and gained the confidence of Prime Minister Winston Churchill. And Donovan was a Rockefeller asset from the beginning. Although Roosevelt didn't establish exactly what Sir William had in mind, the organization created represented a revolutionary step in the history of American intelligence. Donovan's OSS was the first central U.S. intelligence service. The OSS worked closely with and learned from Sir William and other Canadian and British officials during the war. A little later, these OSS officers formed the core of the CIA. Intrepid may not have technically been the father of the CIA, but he is certainly in our lineage someplace. Let's not mince words. This guy is behind the CIA. This is where the CIA came from. And when you do your research into where BSC came from, it's all from Tavistock folks or what Tavistock was originally called Wellington House. I believe that's what it was. This is all where it came from. So this is the main guy. This is the guy who got it started. This is the guy who James Bond is based upon this is the guy who Ian Fleming, who his boss was Stevenson. This was the guy. This was the John D. Okay. I almost want to like bond, like B on D. I don't know what that means, but there's got some play on words with John D on that. So now we're going to get weird. Are you ready to get weird? Always. Okay. So with all of that being laid down, we're going to go look at William Stevenson's picture on Wikipedia. Right? This guy is of great significance. There's a huge monument to him, which is right by Mike Myers. Like, that's what I'm talking about. This Camp X thing is all about William Stevenson. They've got a monument there to him. It's right by Mike Myers, who's Austin Powers and all this sort of stuff. But when you look at this guy's photograph on Wikipedia, and it says that it's from his 1942 passport photo, it is uncanny how similar it looks to pierce morgan
1: it's true i mean i'm looking at it right now it's weird yeah minus uh 30 pounds or so they look almost identical
2: so i'm going to give you a couple possibilities all right so maybe this is just pure coincidence because like sometimes people just look alike i mean that really happens sometimes that happens so maybe that's a possibility when you hear the other stuff i think you're going to come up to another conclusion but yeah maybe that's a possibility maybe it's done as a goof Maybe they're making fun of us. Maybe they're mocking us. Maybe they're like, they tweak the picture to make it look like it's someone like me is going to go down some red herring trail. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe something more exotic is going on, you know, maybe this is time travel because this story bumps up against time travel again and again and again and again. So maybe this is an ode to like some sort of time travel or maybe this is cloning. Maybe this is from the same cloning or maybe it's something a little bit less exotic. Maybe Pierce Morgan is a grandson like, you know, they're not telling us that link. But they look so much alike. And I really encourage everyone, you know, if you're listening to this, go and take a look. You come up with your own conclusion, but nonetheless, they go and they look alike. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So the question is like, you might not know who Pierce Morgan is. So Pierce Morgan, I found this, this is a title, which I found when I did a quick search on Pierce Morgan, it says how Pierce Morgan became the most divisive man in British media. And what I think he is, I think he's like a host of a morning TV show, maybe in Britain, you know, amongst other things, but he's definitely a cultural commentator and he has a powerful voice. So we know he's very much inside the culture creation industry, which is propaganda by definition. And we know that he is creating emotional response. You know, you don't get the title, the most divisive man, whether you agree with him or not, he's causing people to respond. That is the definition of propaganda. When people respond by emotion first and then rationality second. If emotion is your first response to hearing some information, you've been propagandized. And so we know that's what BSC is all about anyway. So we got a guy who looks just like the head of the main propaganda machine. And now we got a guy who's like this main propagandist to begin with. But I want to go even one step further. When you go and you read like Morgan's bio on Wikipedia, it says that he at age 29 was appointed to the editor of the News of the World. It's a newspaper, a Rupert Murdoch newspaper, which made him the youngest editor of a British national newspaper in more than half a century. And so that's really important because the editor of any newspaper, particularly of a national newspaper, regardless of what the nation is, that's a really, really big job. And it's a job which you get out of experience because no matter how you want to understand reality, newspaper editors are shaping the way people understand information and you know taken from just like a mainstream perspective you only get good at doing that through experience so when you see a guy at age 29 get this job he doesn't have the experience he is being groomed you only get this job if you're being groomed and he moved on for that Editors of a major national newspaper, that is the highlight for a lot of people's careers, unless it's a stepping stone, unless you've been identified early on in your life, this is your path is to become something significant. So we're building up to something. And now I also want to go and I want to go and give this definition. Remember, William Stevenson, his code name was Intrepid. His autobiography, which came out, I think, in like 89, is called The Man Called Intrepid. So it's not like it's a secret that his nickname was Intrepid. And Intrepid's not exactly a common word. I had to go and look it up. I wasn't exactly certain what it means. So here's the definition. It's fearless, adventurous, often used with humorous effect. So that is the modus operandi. And you look at both of the pictures, which I show you here with Stevenson and Pierce Morgan, they got a smirk. The whole thing is a joke. Austin Powers, whether they're laughing with you, they're laughing at you, you know, that's up for you to go and decide. But this is done as humor. This is the modus operandi. My code name, I am the guy who's setting up the whole thing and I'm doing this to a humorous effect. Now, guys, now it's time to get ready to laugh, because this is where we know that this whole thing is a joke, or at least it's being presented to us with a humorous effect. So, Pierce Morgan was introduced, at least to the American public, into our collective consciousness through the vehicle known as the Celebrity Apprentice. And in, I believe it was episode seven of the of the Apprentice reality TV show to begin with, it was the first time they did a celebrity Apprentice episode. And you have to realize all of this reality show, particularly the early stuff, is the biggest mind, the biggest mind manipulation there is. And I mean, that's how ridiculous the NLP is. It's like reality just by putting the name in there. But so we're going to go and break this down. So Pierce Morgan wins this show. And when you go and you look at this on Wikipedia, when they got like the charts of all the past winners and all of this. And so if you win the celebrity apprentice, you give all your money to your favorite charity. And so what's the name of Pierce Morgan's charity? It's called the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund. (laughs) Oh, wow. Here's a guy who looks just like Stevenson, whose name was Intrepid, and he's in the same career. And then, oh, yeah, he's introduced to all of us. And he uses a charity called Intrepid. Intrepid is not a common word. So here's the second part. What was the name? If you remember how like the apprentice works, like they're two teams and they compete against each other. So what was the name of his team? Hydra. What was the name of the BSC wireless network? Hydra. (laughs) Man. So they're laughing. It's a joke. Now go look at the Apprentice logo. It is a silhouette of a guy running with a briefcase. Now go juxtapose that against the James Bond opening sequence. It's always part of the James Bond hypnosis. That's the beginning of every movie. How they open it up is how they get you in the right mindset. And the more established a particular beginning is, is the stronger the mental hypnosis. And that's a silhouette which is very, very similar to The Apprentice. Hmm. Correct? Correct. I mean, you're seeing it right there. And I'll just go one last thing just because just to show you the level of which this is all convoluted. So if you go and you look at the history of how they built the Hydra, the BSC acquired the radio transmitter from a Columbia radio station in Philadelphia, WCAU was the call letters, and they used that to then build this top cutting edge technology sort of thing. So part of the celebrity apprentice, when Donald Trump as a character was introduced, really sold into the collective consciousness as an executive, the music which they tied it to, the opening theme was the OJ's song for the love of money. You know, the money, 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 money. I'm not going to sing it mm-hmm. just because I, you know, I should, but I'm not going to embarrass myself. So that station WCAU TV, they were playing that OJ song that was in their promotions at the exact same time that the apprentice was like a contemporary TV show. Like it's all connected. It's wink, wink, nod, nod. There is a humorous effect. So when I say that we are in a James Bond, like it was written this way. You think like Ian Fleming just came up with this idea to like come up with this James Bond story about these masterminds. He just did that. No, this all is part of like the first time I was on here and I broke down the Susquehanna mystery. It's the same individuals. It's the same storyline as we're going to see towards the end of this, you know, it's all connected. So This is part of understanding the dream which is being told before us, which is being used to hypnotize the masses.
1: Right. We're being incepted by culture creators from connected intelligence assets, and I think that start was just a great little loop of that connection. They look the same. Hydra, intrepid. It's just too weird.
2: (laughs) All right. So then let's go to the modern times. So you and I, the last time we talked, it was the end of February. I just checked. uh, Last time I used Skype, that's what we're talking on right now. I could see that you and I spoke on the 22nd, I believe it was the 28th, was when our episode was released. And then March hits and the whole world goes crazy. And so shortly after March, what happened was some people began to realize that hey, there's something funny going on because we're getting all of these dancing doctors. And if I remember back to this Olympic ceremony from back in 2012, they had dancing doctors. And. Now that I'm looking at all of like the special effects, which they did, now that I went and looked at the special effects, which they did in hindsight, it looks exactly like what they're showing us this Corona, this sun virus looks like. And, you know, what's that all about? Like that was introduced and discovered by some good detectives, like back in the, probably the April timeframe when that came about, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You remember all that. So we know that this is a long-term story. So we're going to go and we're going to follow those clues. And if you go back and you look at the Olympic opening games, the very beginning of it, the opening ceremony, the opening ceremony is the most important collective mass ritual there is because more eyeballs see that than anything else. It's the Olympics, so it touches all countries or a lot of countries, and it goes beyond sports. So it's not just limited to like people who like sports. And it's the very beginning, like the closing ceremonies, everyone's just done with the Olympics, but the beginning, they're excited for it. And so the Olympic opening ceremony begins with, we see Daniel Craig and Queen Elizabeth II, they're walking out, it's like this thing which they filmed. We see James Bond and Queen Elizabeth kicking off the entire event, which is very similar to the relationship between John D and Queen Elizabeth I. We got Queen Elizabeth II right now, and this is a, James Bond with her is a mirroring of the John D Queen Elizabeth I relationship, which started the entire British Empire, which started the last 400 years, which is bringing us to this moment. Okay. So they're telling us from the beginning, like, yeah, this is all part of the master play. All right. Mm -hmm. So now we want to go one step deeper. So, you know, time matters, but what matters more so is timing. Like when two things happen relative to each other in time and space. So the opening ceremony hits July 27th, 2012. All right. And so one week before that, a movie is released. And remember, so we already know, we know now from the vantage point of hindsight, we know that there is a correlation between this opening ceremonies and this particular time, July 2012, and Our current time, our current March 2020, and we're going to see it's going to get stronger and stronger, this correlation. But we know this because of the dancing doctors and the COVID. We're beginning to at least get a clue, and we're getting a stronger correlation with James Bond and the Queen Elizabeth kickoff. So a week before that, one week before that, was the release of the movie The Dark Knight Rises. Okay? Remember the Batman film? And so this movie, if you remember, it was very, very significant on many, many levels. We're going to say it's significant because it was a huge box office hit. We could talk about like the plot. But most importantly, and particularly if we're on a conspiracy website, is we're going to talk to the fact that it was tied to two of probably the most notorious and controversial of the mass shootings. The first one being the Aurora shootings, which James Holmes is said to have shot up a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. Side note, Wayne's World, another Mike Myers film, takes place in Aurora, Illinois. And also James Holmes, if you recall what he was studying, he was studying some very interesting things which deal with time-space travel on the PhD level. Which to me ties into a lot of this kind of like psychodrama, which we're seeing involved with this narrative, which you and I are talking about. But that is tied to it. But we also have tied to it the Sandy Hook shootings, as within the movie, there was a scene where the villain Bane points out his map of his strike zone and Sandy Hook is identified on that. Like this was very much part of the conspiracy narrative at this time. And if you recall, the Sandy Hook shooting occurred, the Sandy Hook elementary events took place on December 14th, 2012, just one week before the big event, the summer solstice 2012. So all of that is tied in. But we're going to focus in on something else. We're going to focus in on the wordplay with this. Because part of the intrepid and part of the humorous effect is double entendre. And Dark Knight Rises is a wordplay to the Dark Knight of the Soul. And the Dark Knight of the Soul, in my opinion, is a very good explanation of what we're seeing everyone being brought through right about now. So the dark night of the soul is, here's a a definition I found on the internet. There can be no rebirth without a dark night of the soul, a total annihilation of all that you believed in and thought that you were. So from a higher spiritual perspective, the dark night of the soul is where everything collapses down. So you can see all of the illusion in your life And so that you can find who you truly are. But the dark night of the soul is also a recognition of the destruction of everything of what you thought of your life. And that is very much tied into this narrative. And we're also seeing it because it's tied into these events, you know, the Sandy Hook event and the Aurora shooting, that there's definitely... Regardless of how you want to think of what happened on these days, there is a nefarious or at least a seemingly a nefarious element which is being tied to it. So we can see we're beginning to understand what this London Games, what this time period is about. And that's going to offer much more clarity to what we're going through right now because they're giving us these clues because they want us to go and see their handiwork. That's what this is all about. So we got that, but that's just one piece of the puzzle because we're gonna go one step deeper with this. The Dark Knight Rises had their European premiere in Leicester Square in London, England. This was on July 18th is when this occurred. So a week before the opening games. And so from a mainstream reality perspective, If you're a city that hosts an Olympic event, like that's like the greatest thing, at least economically, you spend at least six years getting your city ready for this event because there's going to be such a huge influx into it. And part of what happened within London was the rebuilding of this, I think it's pronounced Leicester Square. And the fact that The Dark Knight Rises has their European premiere one week before. You could see how it's all dovetailing in. And from this level of city politics and mainstream economics, the person who is most important, who plays the biggest part in this city sort of game, is the mayor of the city. So we want to go and look at who was the mayor of London during london's starring role on the world's grand stage and who was the mayor but boris johnson (laughs) the current prime minister of london Mm -hmm. so now we've got this sort of connection and boris johnson comes with all sorts of interesting baggage particularly when he was first elected a year ago because of all of these strange similarities with donald trump You know, who Pierce Morgan was supposedly the apprentice, who I'm going to say is really the handler because everything is upside down. But we got that going on. Now we got Boris Johnson, who was tied as the mayor right there. I found this article from back in 2012 where it says Boris Johnson, the London mayor, was the biggest winner of the Olympics. You know, this guy went from the mayor to the prime minister. So he became prime minister last July and it was very controversial. I don't follow like British politics that closely, but I do remember this making its way to the American news sphere and his first speech as a prime minister got everyone all up in arms because he appears to be quoting Bain, the bad guy from the villain from The Dark Knight Rises. So now we have another connection back to The Dark Knight. And if you recall from that movie, what is Bane's most distinguished characteristic, but this character wears a mask, okay? Yes,
1: not only that, but there is a scene, because I watched this recently with my wife, where somebody says to him, so what would happen if I ripped that mask off your face, or ripped that mask off your mouth? And he goes, well, I would probably die. And then he goes on with something else,
2: and it's like, well, uh, a lot of people feel that way about their masks currently, too. This is the dream world. This is the James Bond, Dr. Evil, Bill Gates. I mean... We don't have the time to go into it. But when you go down, you tried to get James Corbett, when you had him on like a couple months ago, it was a beautiful interview about like the, let's get into the weirdness about the fact that Frederick Gates is the mastermind behind the Rockefeller Foundation back in the 1800s and Bill Gates. Like, yeah, there's supposedly no family lineage, but there's a connection there. And it goes into the dream sphere, into the weird sphere, whatever it is. And this is also playing into that. And we Mm -hmm. also need to point this out. Boris Johnson also then becomes the first major world leader to test positive to the coronavirus. And this happened March 26, 2020. And we're going to go and see that this date, March 26, from the Ides of March to the end of March, some very, very important things happened. And we're going to understand that why in the second hour. But I want to like pause right now, or at least hopefully point out, and I want to open up to any sort of feedback, is that we have established that there is this strange link going on between James Bond and Queen Elizabeth and John D. and 2012 and all of this sort of stuff and the events of what's happening right now.
1: Yes, yes. And I think this is going really great. And if people out there put any stock in the idea that these highly esoteric award show ceremonies and halftime shows have a purpose, then the 2012 Olympic Games ceremony is going to be like the apex, as you said. And they have to rewatch the opening and closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games in 2012 because they are insanely prophetic. And I know part of this material is to say that Stephen Hawking made a statement about how 2012 was a misread on the Mayan calendar, and the real end date is 12-21-2020. Well, I also wanted to point out that Ross Ben, who's been here a lot and does work similar to you, largely centered in Philadelphia as well, in our last interview, he said that the end of the cycle in the Ethiopian calendar is also 2020. So there is a real sort of rhyme to these years, 2012 and 2020. And just to throw a couple other things on the stack, Also in these opening ceremonies, we have dozens of Mary Poppins's floating down on umbrellas. Umbrellas were a big theme with the protests this year, but more importantly, as you pointed out, the main song of the movie, A Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down, is a hit for our times, and as you note that it says on Wikipedia, the guys who created that song were inspired by the polio vaccine, so let's loop in the vaccine theme, too. Another hit, I would say, and... You kind of mentioned this, but I just want to reiterate that when you watch those ceremonies, they have synchronized lights or dancers, and they form an exact coronavirus. The pattern that synchronized swimmers make, these rounded shapes, it is the exact thing. If you tried to tell people to make one, they couldn't do a better job. And just that Dark night thing where James Holmes is basically mirroring a scene from the Frank Miller comic book where an orange-haired psycho shoots up a theater, and then they're doing this here. Also, in the Olympic ceremonies, both Batman running around and a group of orange-haired gymnasts are making a human pyramid. I've always thought that when you see that picture of James Holmes in the courtroom where he has the orange hair, weird look on his face, and it's long hair, it is the exact same hair on these guys running around as Jokers in that ceremony. And again, Aurora, Corona, this is that sun symbolism. It's nuts, man. And the Boris Johnson thing, I mean, Jesus, he is the mayor of London in 2012 and the prime minister in 2020. Quoting Bain, guy wears a mask, first dude to get coronavirus as a major politician. Like these threads are not thin, you know, they're deep.
2: They're not- at all, like when you see it, you're like, holy crackers, you know? And like, what about Boris Johnson and Trump? Physically, what are they best known for? Their horrible orange hair.
1: Yeah, their orange, well, his orange skin color and his bad hair.
2: Yeah, like, and this is how it works. So it's like, part of the thing, like, you know, if you're listening to this show and you're walking around and you're like, how is everyone just like falling into this? Like, why aren't they using common sense? it's like there is an understanding this is when we get into the Tavistock and this is where we get into the magic and we get into the mystery of like how and why this all works, but these are the techniques of what makes it work. And so this is a good segue because the question is like, well, why, well, why are they doing this? Like, what is the purpose? Why are they doing that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Can we take this step? We can. So we're going to go back to the work of A researcher by the name of Rick Clay, who is said to have committed suicide in 2008, and he was a young guy, and I can remember listening to him back on Red Ice Radio. I remember listening to him on Red Ice Radio, so this had to have been like probably like 2007. I went deeper down, more detail than I can on this show on some of my own videos on this. And someone did a comment, which I thought was interesting, about Rick Clay and Eric Dubé and like how they're the same person. I was like, (laughs) wow. Wow. Um, But nonetheless, what Rick Clay did and what his claim to fame was... He broke down the London Olympics, and this was done like four years before the London Olympics even hit. And he went and he shows, and his research is still available online, he shows that the London Olympics had built into the Olympic village, and then also in the iconology of how 2012 is done, and then also the previous 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the words Zion and the phrase New Jerusalem are used over and over and over again. Okay? So that's what this is all about. So let me put this in context. What is Zion? What is New Jerusalem? From the book of Revelations, New Jerusalem and Zion are interchangeable, and they refer to the city which comes up after the apocalypse so we want to look at this not necessarily from like a mainstream judeo christian perspective of the apocalypse we want to look at this from an astro an astrotheological perspective like you know there're different ages the age of aquarius the age of pisces the age of aries and so forth And this has nothing to do with whether or not you as an individual put any subscription or value into the authenticity of of astro-theology. The people who control your culture The Federal Reserve, the Congress, they've got zodiacs throughout their lobbies. These guys, they take this very, very seriously. And what the apocalypse means is it is the end of an age and the beginning of a new age. And at the end of the age, everything must be destroyed and then rebuilt So when we're talking about the dark night rising, the dark night of the soul, yes, there is an individual element, but there's also a cultural element, which this is about, that must be destroyed. And they're telling us this is going to happen through the virus. Hey, guess what? This is how we're going to do it. It's like dancing, like spoonful of sugar. And they're laughing. They're doing this with this, this sense of humor. That's what this is all about. And what they're trying to do, or like, you know, maybe they're doing it. Who knows? But what they're doing is they're saying that we are the rulers of Zion right now. And after the apocalypse, we're going to be the rulers of the new Jerusalem. We are running the show. And we're going to get into this in the second hour. What I want to get into is like, you know, the reason they're putting so much hypnosis into it is because they need us all to go along with it. They need us to go along with it. So it's <laughs> I don't think it's a done deal, but I do not want to come across that I'm saying that this is a a definitive outcome. What we're doing right now is we're seeing how they're doing it. We do not want to become mesmerized because this is part of like the feedback loop of seeing the machine in action is that we get hypnotized by even seeing it and understanding it. It's really, really diabolical because like as soon as you understand, it's like Medusa, you can't look away, but we need to understand what is happening. So we've got that. So, there's one last thing which I want to get into, which I find is really, really mind blowing. And then I think that would be a good place to stop for this first hour. Cool. Is, that, is that a good way to do it? Absolutely, man. I support. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. I mentioned the James Corbett interview you did a while back and I'm listening to, it. I'm a fan of the show. I, you know, Aww. I love your guests. I like how you interview. So, you know, I like to listen to it. I'm a fan of James Corbett. I've been listening to this dude for a long, long time. Yes. And it felt like from my perspective, you're like, kind of like, you know, you're trying to get him to go down a path. Like, you know, well, what do you think about this? And, and he responds, he's like, you know what? You know, maybe I have some ideas, but I'm going to stick and only talk about stuff which I can prove. You know, that's mm-hmm. really where I believe he has made A place for himself. And I respect that and I honor that. And I kind of have like, you know, I've got my own line for like the type of research, which I do. I try to push the envelope as hard as I can, but I want to show like there is some degree of legitimacy from where we're making these connections. And so I try not to go too much into my own personal subjectivity, but I'm going to go into my own subjectivity for this part of the story. Cause you know, it's kind of fun and you know, what else do we got going on? Yeah, right. So this is about like three weeks ago and I'm going through all of this research and I'm in the middle of it. And you know, I'm a regular guy and like trying to make sense of this. I'm excited. Like this excites me. I like to do this research. I'm a detective. And as this is happening one night, well, I'll take a step back. We didn't even touch this, but this we're going to go with. There's a correlation with Doctor Who as well. This is what pulled me into this research to begin with, was the correlation between the Dancing Doctors and the World Health Organization and the television program Doctor Who. I've never seen Doctor Who. I had a general understanding of what Doctor Who was, but I had no interest in watching it. But I knew that there was a correlation just because I know how things work. And when I started doing some research on the British security coordination, I see that just as Ian Fleming was a byproduct of the British security coordination, so was this guy, Eric Mashowitz, I believe his name is. Yes. And this is the gentleman who is responsible for Doctor Who. And so like, I'm like, all right, I hit pay dirt right here. <laughs> so that's going on in my life. And right around that time, I have a dream. The dream world, dream life is really, really significant to me. I try not to take it too seriously, but I take it very seriously. I journal my dreams, I write them down. If you're like in my personal life, I ask you all the time, What did you dream last night? What's your dream life like? Because I think it's really significant. I don't claim to understand dreams, but I certainly find them interesting. So during the midst of all this research, I have a very unusual dream relative to my own dream world. And in this dream, I'm in John D's castle, right? And like, I don't know if I'm necessarily like a fan of John D, but I certainly have done my fair amount of research on him. And in the dream, I know that I'm in his castle and I go into his secret room. And this was such a vivid dream. And the secret room, it wasn't particularly big, but it was round. It was all stone. It was circular. And I'm in the secret room and I have in my hand like a scroll, like a little piece of rolled up paper, but it's the size of my hand. It wasn't like a huge scroll. And I'm looking at it and has all sorts of symbols. And I say a word in the dream. And the word I say in the dream is rose. And as soon as I say that word in the dream, there's another room, which the secret room is off of. And it was lit by candles. All the candles like went out instantaneously and I'm in the darkness and suddenly like I kind of freak out in my dream and I wake up and I find myself in a bed and I'm in this point and I love this. I really like this feeling. I don't know if anyone else likes this, but I'm awake. I know I'm me, but I have no friggin' idea who I am or where I am. And I know like in about a minute, I'm going to come to, but there's like this short amount of time where you're like really confused. And I remember thinking this, like it was so clear to me, like, okay, okay. I just had this crazy dream. I'm in bed. It was just a dream. And like, what was all this? And like, eventually like, The nature of reality comes back and I realize where I am and all of that sort of stuff. And so I'm like, okay, Rose. And I'm like, I'm thinking about the dream and the symbology and all that sort of stuff. And I'm doing all this research on what we're talking about right now. And I'm like, and I'm reading all about Doctor Who. And I'm reading about like the Rockefeller connection to like the World Health Organization and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, all right, I got to go and find something about Doctor Who. And where all this is going is I see there's hundreds. Doctor Who began in the 60s and it ran until the mid-90s and then they stopped. And then they started up again in 2005. And apparently Doctor Who is a real big deal if you like watch BBC and if you're part of like the British culture. And so the first episode back, The first episode, once they reintroduced it, was called Rose. And I'm like, all right, that's the episode I got to watch. And that's the only reason, like it made sense on a couple levels, but this is why I go and watch this Doctor Who episode. So just to reiterate, I know to watch Doctor Who because I see the correlation with the Who Doctors, Rockefellers, it connects to Stevenson, all the stuff lines up. Quick side note before I get into what this episode tells us. Doctor Who, it begins one day after the assassination. The first Doctor Who episode ever was broadcasted one day after the assassination of JFK. I did a search, like I did Doctor Who and... Jimmy Savile. I'm like, I know this MF or had been on that show. Like (laughs) sure enough, he's on the show and he's on season 11, episode nine, take that for whatever you want. And it's an episode about a kid, you know, go right ahead and read into that one. So that'll tell you like what we're working with. But anyway, so I go back to this episode Rose. And so this is what the premise of the doctor who show is. It is about this artificial, inorganic, Well, first of all, Doctor Who is called a Time Lord. He's a time-traveling extraterrestrial. He's called a Time Lord. Lord means L, and time is Saturn. He's L-Saturn, right? And he's always changing forms. Just like how I'm saying, Doctor D is always changing forms. Apparently, the actor who plays the Doctor is always changing forms. So this is a new actor who's playing Doctor Who. And what the premise is, this off-world hive mind mentality is able to control any mannequin, anything that's made of plastic on earth, and it's able to control them all through the London eye. (laughs) And the London eye, for people who don't know what that is, is that enormous Ferris wheel in London. So I'm like, all right, so you're already telling me this is Rose and I've got all of these things to go and look for in Doctor Who. And now you're telling me about this like kind of like Internet of Things kind of implication of being able to control stuff from like a central location of inorganic matter. And like it hits all of this other stuff. So I'm like, let me go and look a little bit deeper into 2012 and the London Eye because I'm already looking into the London Games and the London Eye. And keep in mind, this episode came out seven years prior to the London Olympics. So this is what was happening with the London eye during the midst of all of this stuff. Okay. So Twitter, you know, good old Twitter (laughs) did this thing with a group of like creatives, a bunch of like MIT graduates who tie in technology with like some sort of creative ad agency. And They created this algorithm where they would capture every tweet that had a hashtag of like London Olympics and they would assign through this algorithm a score to it based upon the emotionality of the tweet, like From ecstatic to despair. I'm so, go, you know, we won the gold. Oh, I can't believe it. And then they tied it to a color. Okay? And then what they did was they took all of this information and they took the 24 hours amount of data and they consolidated it down into 24 minutes. So you've got a one minute to one hour ratio. And then they created a light show on this spinning eye. And so now what we have is a time together of emotionality, technology, and color on the spinning eye, which at least, at the very least, and I'm going to get down to at the very most in a moment, but at the very least is a symbol of a connection with like all the like AI throughout the world. Like if you wanna understand what everyone is feeling and to be able to control the population, they just created that bridge. Mm -hmm. And they're telling you they did it. (laughs) It's wild, it's wild. So now let's go one level deeper and then we'll stop for this time because this is what I'm like, all right. So let me go look into this wheel because Everything happens by resonance, just like there's a resonance from 24 hours, like where one hour equals one minute, there's a resonance when things have a ratio. So I go and you look at the size of the London eye and its circumference is. 1,392 feet. So I'm like, all right, well, what's that going to be in harmony with? So I go and I look at the circumference of the moon. I'm like, I don't know how they figure out what the circumference of the moon is, but like, don't mm-hmm. tell you what it is. And I'm, I'm going to trust them. But like, you know, this is the information they give us. So you go and you look and they, they tell you like in miles, thousand seven 6,786 miles is the circumference of the moon. And then you do a little bit of minor operation and you convert like miles into feet. So you have the same sort of, you're doing a feet to feet comparison. And then you divide the amount of feet of the circumference of the moon by the amount of feet of the circumference of the ferris wheel and this will tell us how they relate like every two things relate you know the degree or the quality of how they relate will tell you something but this is what I was curious so I plug that into the computer and it spits out so for every one foot on this ferris wheel is 25,740 feet of the moon. So why is that important? Because that is exactly what we are told makes up the axial precession. Hmm. What is the axial precession? What they tell us, the earth has a wobble. And because of this wobble, it changes the orientation of what we call stars in the sky in a very slow amount. And it is this change in the sky is what gives us what is known as the different ages, the age of Aquarius, the age of Pisces, all of this stuff. So axial precession is directly tied to this concept of the different ages, the precession of the equinoxes. That's what it's called. And so what we know, and you could take this any way you want, we now have this spinning eye, which we know from Doctor Who they're telling us is connected to like relaying something to all of the artificial Intelligence or the inorganic beings throughout Earth, which is in correlation to the moon, which, you know, David Icke tells us is connected directly to Saturn. And, you know, we've got like the Time Lord, which is L Saturn anyway. And we can see that they're connected on this procession of the equinox is tied directly to the end of the age of Aquarius. Right. And this is all lining up. And then to take it one step further, The London Eye celebrates its 20th anniversary in March of 2020. And Doctor Who had a global re-watching of the 15th anniversary of the Rose episode in March of 2020. On the same week that BJ because there's always going to be a sexual element in it as well, (laughs) gets the COVID virus. Yeah. This is how they create the glue to hypnotize the population.
1: Right. You got to kind of reintroduce it to drive it home. And it's funny you mentioned the sexual aspect because Chris Knowles was here breaking down a lot of the stuff we've seen this year. And he thinks the kneeling of alpha male police and the mask wearing all has a BDSM kind of feel to it, too. And I just think it's interesting.
2: (laughs) I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that.
1: Man, tying in a lot. Yeah, I like the analogy of the London Eye transmitter. And yes, David Icke says that Saturnian signal is filtered through the moon and projected onto the planet and it's it's very weird stuff but yes i think that all these connections you're making in isolation you might be able to say well that's a stretch but they're all connected by at least two or three or four layers and that's where it gets like really interesting like how does that happen on accident i don't think it does
2: if it was just random it would be one thing but it ties into a specific understanding of reality of controlling the masses based upon the procession of the equinox. Yes. And as we're going to talk about in the second hour, we're going to see how this all lines up, what's happening on the winter solstice, December 21st, 2020. And then all of this, like, okay, you can at least see the continuity of the story. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a true, a fundamental truth. It is true to a level, but it is not a fundamental truth. Yes. Right on. <laughs> so I think we're good here. Like, you know, I, I've covered all the stuff, which I want to cover. I think that we've gone a long, long distance. You know, this is ultimately about understanding this time. I'm at age 48. And so I think that Generation X has a very, very important responsibility during this time. And I'm Gen X. I'm Generation X. And this is how I want to contribute. I want to be able to share my understanding of reality. And you gave me a platform to do that. And I'm grateful for that. And if anyone's listening this long in the show, I'm immensely grateful for that. Hopefully I said something which maybe had been encouraging, which maybe allowed you to see something more clearly, maybe allowed you to make a connection I don't even know about but that's what I'd like to do during this time period and that's my intention here so thank you
1: hey thank you man I'm so lucky to know you I will definitely include the slides in the show notes you're the man as always and I really want your work to be appreciated so let's remind people that you have a subscribe star page much like Patreon just a different platform where they can support you and get more material in exchange for that support But I would say even more valuable is to have your esoteric skill set applied to an individual's life firsthand with one of those starboard sessions. I found it really insightful. I bought one as a gift for my wife and she loved hers too. It makes a great, creative, personal gift. The holidays are coming up. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, Anything else to leave them with?
2: Yeah, I'll go down and listen. And I, I appreciate that. So my personal opinion financial system it's gotta go. In the new world, it's gonna be gone. But as long as I got a foot in this world, like, you know, because I'll give all this stuff away for free. I would give it away for free in a heartbeat. But as long as I still have to do some stuff, yeah, I do need some of the money. So I appreciate any support. So let me go down list. So YouTube, Susquehanna Alchemy. Like I put out a video maybe like once a week. There's tons of good analysis, particularly if you like this sort of stuff in This past year, going through all of the Bill Gates stuff, I recommend going to YouTube to look at that and then all the Susquehanna mystery stuff. That's all free. You could go to my website, Susquehanna Alchemy. There are a couple things which you can get there. We didn't really get into the significance of understanding the landscape and how you connect to the land, but I have a book there which goes into a specific location on the Susquehanna River, which is the epicenter at least of the Susquehanna mystery. If you live on the East coast of the United States, like this is a easy day car trip to go to these places. You could order the book there. But the majority of the books I sell are from all over the country, all over the really the planet. And the book not only is a support for me, but it puts you in an energetic harmony with the world's oldest river. If You've got a computer, you're already being sucked into it. No matter what, if you use electricity, you're getting sucked into it because that's where it began. The service you were talking about, Greg, the starboard, I stopped doing those. They, uh, I do one a month. I do one a month. They became too intense. And so I stopped doing that and I start doing something else. So not quite as amazing as what you got. So it'll make you appreciate what you and your wife received a little bit more. But I do something called Biomancy. And this is like a one-hour telephone call. And biomancy is a play on the word necromancy necromancy is like communicating with the dead and that's not necessarily bad like communicating with ancestors is communicating with the dead but biomancy is communicating with life and so what you do is you order one you get like a intake form i ask all these different questions like you know about times in your life you feel strong times you feel weak you know tell me about this tell me about that and you give me your astrology and then i go and i study the two and compare and then we sit and we talk and i start pointing out trends in your life you never know where you're going to go but this level of of connectivity and analysis that i think i've demonstrated today i bring this to individual people and so I've got an initial session that's $129. Then after that, people tend to want to go and continue these sort of conversations. And I've got like a lower price one for that because we've already like met each other. So you can do those sort of things. The subscribe star that's Susquehanna Alchemy. I'm grateful for my subscribe star members there, but I really hate that. Like, you know, I don't like upkeeping with any of that sort of thing. If you could do that, that's great. You're not going to get anything out of it. I love the money, (laughs) but like, I want to be honest, like, you know, I try to set it up in a way like you get all these freebies, but I couldn't keep up with it. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Some people do it. One more thing. So Emily Moyer, she and I, we've been doing this thing. We call it Project Kids and you go to her YouTube. We started this thing called Summer Camp and we call it Project Kids because we both were in government summer camp projects when we're kids and we're both highly suspect of these experiences and we get together once a month and we open it up to other people and we're beginning to kind of like in a very like grassroots way play with synchronicity and so if anyone finds that interesting go to her youtube she's managing all of that and you know see if you want to get involved with that instagram susquehanna alchemy But the last thing I want to say, as I indicated, I want to move off this. And I want to really put my money where my mouth is. And I want to return back to like doing stuff in person. And I want to start teaching in person. And so this is only for someone who's legit. Like if you're someone who can organize something, and if you live probably in the eastern half of the United States, definitely in the mid-Atlantic, reach out to me, find me on my website, And I'd be interested in setting up where I come out and you set it up, but I'll do either like a weekend workshop or maybe like an evening teaching. There's a lot of things which I want to go and cover, but really to help people to be able to see how deep this web is so that it becomes easier to walk away from it and to really start to reconnect. And so if anyone's interested in that, reach out to me. And we'll see if we can make something like that happen.
1: Awesome, man! Yes, I absolutely respect that decision to try to walk away from the digital. It is sad for me to hear, but you know, maybe maybe you'll make an exception once in a while and dip back in for me. But I definitely understand the need to get more into meat space and get rid of the computers. When this COVID thing happened, the first real anxiety I felt was when I was like, "Oh man, they have figured out a way to put a computer." between all human interaction because human-to-human interaction is scary now. I, you, I, I could get you sick, so you might as well just talk to me on Zoom even though you live a mile away. And that was a scary place to be, although I think people are are, are coming away from that. It's obviously still the name of the game. So I understand the desire to strengthen the physical and let the digital weather away.
2: My guess is 144,000 people are going to get off of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I played one of them. I hope to see your face too, my friend. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Yeah. again, yeah, it's like, this is a slow move. Like I'm moving off slowly, but then also as soon as that line in the sand is drawn, like I know what side I'm going to stay on.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I respect it, man. And I am honored and humbled to have you share your work here. Thanks for all you do and take care of you and yours. All right. Thank you. Sweet baby Jesus, Hireside Chatters, can you believe it? Michael Wan, bringing the heat as always. He has such an eye for the synchromistic stuff, such a knack for seeing the strands of the web we're all entangled in. And I hope it translates clearly to an audio-only show, or that you followed along with the slides, because it does help to keep some of this stuff straight. I've always liked that phrase that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And I think that applies, especially when you're being played like a piano by the higher realms or the higher levels of the power pyramid. Maybe both. And One of the big takeaways to me is just how much synergy there is between the years 2012 and 2020. From that Stephen Hawking comment, you know he was used for a lot of perception management when it comes to the scientific stuff the Ethiopian calendar sync that Ross Ben was talking about, the intense syncs with London and the 2012 Olympic ceremonies, sit down and just watch it. Analyze it and tell me that's not some ritual. The Boris Johnson element from mayor of London to prime minister to quoting Bain, the mask wearing villain with the weird breathing and becoming the first major world leader with coronavirus. The weird conspiratorial event mirroring that that Dark Knight Trilogy has, or more so, just parts two and three seem to be wrapped up in. It is a lot, but it really struck a chord with me. Very psyched to present this one to you guys. Amazing work on the part of Mr. Juan. And when we were talking about Boris Johnson quoting Bane, I had said to Mike on the side, Man, it is driving me nuts, but I know there was some other little dust-up where Boris Johnson quoted something that also harkened back to a big conspiratorial event, and I couldn't remember what it was, and it finally clicked for me. It was a sync with the Harvest Festival shooting, and let me walk you through it. Boris Johnson was in Myanmar in January of 2017, and when he rings their sacred bell, he starts mumbling lines from Kipling's Road to Mandalay, and he's scolded for it. No big deal, but for some reason, The Guardian decides that this is news and puts out the video I'm about to play on September 30th, 2017. The Harvest Festival shooting happened from the Mandalay Bay Hotel on October 1st, 2017, the very next day. Since I have it here, give this a listen. Again, he's mumbling it, and the British ambassador, or his handler, whatever you want to say, Is like, hey dude, don't do that. It's an inappropriate thing to do right now since Myanmar used to be a British colony and they don't want to be reminded of all that shit. But it was like he just couldn't help himself. Like he made some promise to spit it out regardless. Just weird. But here it is. A one minute clip. I'm just going to play the whole thing.
0: Boris Johnson is being chaperoned by the British ambassador.
1: Okay. This is the
0: biggest belt.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's
0: enormous. 42 tonnes. Yeah, it's the second magistrate right, in our country. i want, I want to be the out. clapper on that one. That's one of them. More? 24 bells, they say. We've got one bell. Come you back, red you English red soldier. Red? Huh. Look at there. You that, too. <laughs> The fragments are from the pro-colonial classic poem about Burma called Mandalay by Rudyard Kipling.
1: The ambassador is quick to spot that reminding their hosts of British rule might not be wise.
0: Probably not. What, the rage Mandalay?
1: Man, see, and it's not weird in and of itself. It's just weird that this happened in January and was put out as a news story in September, one day before this shooting from Mandalay Bay. That's odd to me. Chris Knowles was the one who brought this up, I believe, in a THC episode. But now we have another weird sync where he's quoting something that seems out of place that also relates to an event. But what are you going to do? You guys know these are some of my favorite episodes. I still try to keep an open mind and not settle on any one conclusion for how this could all occur. But I am pretty much past thinking that it could be random. It's too many layers, too many times. We talked about the 40-year-old virgin ending on the weird Age of Aquarius musical montage. Maybe it's nothing, but if 2020 really is that transition, well, what is 40 but 20 plus 20. And then I thought, hmm, let me look at the year it came out just to see if it is any other hit for high strangeness. And I was really only looking for a sync with 2020 or the only other year in this range that people talk about would be the year that the singularity has been predicted. No one really talks about 2025 or 2030, but 2045, that's the year. And sure enough, 40-Year-Old Virgin came out in 2005. 40 years more, 2045. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe I'm stretching now. But the movie is about the evolution of a man into a higher form of himself. Is it a transhumanist comedy? I don't know. But it does seem to just keep going and going and going. But I also like Mike's tone about all this. He's defusing and de-escalating People's stress and tension, not contributing to it. Because if you detach from this created culture, you're not vested in its continuation, and you won't be as disoriented when it collapses, which it seems like it's going to. Probably another controlled demolition on their part. And it really has come full circle when we have Elon Musk demonstrating a brain chip on pigs in the New Atlantis to fulfill the vision of Sir Francis Bacon about the next stage of human evolution. Did we mention that Bill Gates has also been knighted by the Queen? Such a whirlwind of information, I can't remember, but it was in the material, and I do think it's relevant. I'm also saddened to hear that Mike might be walking away from this kind of work. Detachment is a process, like we talked about, but this is what he's trying to do. And we're going to miss his expertise if he truly does move on. Again, his emphasis was really on moving away from the digital, and hopefully we can do some kind of events and meet space once again. But still, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like it has been. If you're a fan of his episodes, a fan of his work, it would be great to see him get a bump in personal readings or at least kind messages of thanks. Help me out there if you can. It's also crazy how much language is being thrown at us around the idea of a great reset. It's pretty much constant now. (sighs) But anyway, that is the show. Mike put a lot of effort into how to present these threads. He put a lot of thought into where the cap for the first hour should go, and where to start the second, and I'm just very thankful for that thoughtfulness. You guys know the drill. If you like my show, sign up for Plus. You get the first hour free and free of ads either way, but the full show is where it's at. So many good episodes lately. Phoenix Aurelius, Whitney Webb, Sally Fallon, morell. It's like they were all here twice and you only heard one of them. But you know how math works. In this one, we got into thinking outside the box and the graduation cap and how that's related, the Saturnian and Uranian expressions of the Aquarian age, what the differences are, and how to move into the Aquarian expression that we want, 3D, 4D, and 5D reality, why this might be Mike's last chunk of research, the electrical field, and you... And the problem with legal cannabis. I think there's a good point to be made that they changed what cannabis is right at the time that they legalized it. But luckily, just like with food, you can seek out better sources and then you don't have to worry about that. Also somewhere in there, I think I said glyphosate instead of glyphosate (laughs) wouldn't be the first time, but that's involved too in the weed game. In higher side news, the last two things I wanted to throw in here were a reminder about the Sally Fallon Morrell event that our Plus members are having with Gordon's premium members, a live Zoom call with her about the new book, The Contagion Myth. People have been asking how to get into that. If you're a Plus member on the day of the event, you will get an email with the link in it. You can get the book ahead of time, read it, ask your own questions. It's going to be very useful, I think. Of course, we're going to have it archived for people who can't be there live, but this is an opportunity to talk to someone that I consider to be one of my powerhouse guests recently about a pretty controversial subject that I'm pretty sure she's done her research on and is prepared to answer questions. I hope you realize that I don't take your $8 a month for granted, and so when I can do a little something extra... To show that appreciation, I try to do it. And we're doing it now. But either way, I love you guys. That is going to be it for me. Can't thank Mike enough for his amazing research, the thoughtfulness he puts into making a good presentation in the episodes we do, and just for being a great guy that I've kept in touch with and consider really one of the few guests that has crossed the threshold into being a real friend. I wish him the best. Check out his Instagram. Hit him up for a session. Me and the special lady were both very impressed. And take care out there, guys. Keep your heads up. I've done my part. Your move, sink sorcerers, Olympic ceremony, scripters, and reality unravelers. Your fucking move. You know the
0: plan has always been to hack your brain. just trying to drive you insane. They'll explode your heart if they think that's what it takes You think I'm answering the phone, well I ain't You gotta keep the curtains drawn Cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home Well you're not, you should tape the mail slot And baby if I seem withdrawn Let me say it's cause I just don't wanna go and get whacked Maybe you should know that the trauma affects you like it does everyone. It's just the game plan. It's what the world's become. They want a pat down and a swap. Don't you see what's going on? Well, now you know you're better keeping on your own. Because you can see the masters lie too much. Oh, baby, you can only trust yourself. systems out of touch it is and you can only trust yourself i hope you know the elite aren't your friends they'll suck out everything from you in the end and if for some reason you think i might be wrong i wonder where you got that opinion from you gotta keep the curtain strong because you're at home well you're not you should tape the mail slot and baby if I seem withdrawn let me say it's cuz I just don't wanna go and get whacked maybe you should know that the trauma affects you like it does everyone it's just the game plan it's what the world's become a pat down and a swap don't you see what's going on well now you know you're better keeping on your own cause you can see the masters lie too much oh baby you can only trust yourself and if you think the system's out of touch it is and you can only trust yourself that these problems are small Or maybe they aren't registering at all Now they know you're naive and vulnerable You won't believe all of the stunts that they'll pull Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch it is and you can only trust yourself cause you can see the masters lie too much oh baby you can only trust yourself and if you think the system's out of touch it is and you can
2: only trust yourself